0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Uh, this week's episode is going to be really interesting. We've got a good friend of mine, Kevin Hodder, in the house. And Kev has had a fascinating career, one which he is actually writing a book about as we speak, because there is so many mad stories in there. Um, Kev, thanks a million for joining.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So to qualify that, uh, that entrance, Kev has been working in technology pretty much as an entrepreneur the whole time, either as an entrepreneur or as a consultant. So we're going to delve into how we got went down this path and I think we're going to start with a funny story he's just told me. I asked him if he did well in the Leaving Cert and he said, well, a few months before, my headmaster asked me to shave my beard or uh, I'd have to leave the school. And Kev said, okay, that's fine. I'll see you at the Leaving Cert then.
1: And he just went home and studied at home for two months. So... I don't even know if it was two months I studied for, but I was I was certainly at home for those two months. <laughs> yeah. So a great relationship with authority right from the get-go. Right from the get-go, yeah. I don't think... Uh, I, I think my... My mother still laughs to this day that I, I made it past the leaving cert um with the, with the attitude I probably had.
0: So I assume with that attitude you didn't do a great leaving cert. What did you um not
1: points and stuff but like what did you go on to do in college etc. Um I think well uh, so yeah so I did I did okay. I think I did okay. I didn't do great. I did wasn't striving to to do anything amazing. I wanted to get the bare minimum points I needed to do what I wanted, um, which ended up being web engineering, um, in Dunleary Institute of Art, Design and Technology. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I jumped into.
0: Nice. Okay, so you're in uh, IAD2 doing web engineering. Did you? You did a bit of work. You did a, not internships, but just here and there work for different people throughout. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think like my my technology interest began like at 14, Um, read a random article, ended up buying a book on programming and, uh, you know, there was 14 at home trying to learn how to program. Um, I didn't actually know any other people who programmed. So uh, out of um, frustration, I ended up emailing the author of the book, who then uh, found it so interesting that I was emailing him at, at 14 that he ended up helping me with the challenges in the book. Um, which is how I kind of really got some early support um, through my own education and program.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's kind of what's, what sparked the whole interest. Like from there, it was a never ending learning journey, I guess, into all yeah. aspects of tech.
0: I send a few people in, with the career guides into technology. If they're kind of, uh, if they come across as creative or they like problem solving, or even sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if they like languages they would go in because you literally do learn programming languages. Do you see
1: it or did you see it as a creative output? I, I think so. I think the funny thing was like my my career guidance teacher was almost like steering me away from technology. She was like, Kevin, like you're not you're not doing great in maths in school and stuff. And like the from her point of view, I think it was more you need to be logical. You need to have that mathematical mindset to, to go into something like programming. But I, I saw it as more of a, a creative outlet as well. Um. And I think because of that, I was so fascinated with what I could do with programming that I started getting into some of the Like I was building a calculator in in, in a programming language, whereas, you know, you'd have to have dragged me into the maths class in school. Um, So it was was kind of contradictory in that sense. But that's funny. There you go. Right. So
0: you're in college, you're doing web development and, you know, obviously websites and the Internet and everything are are, uh, a big boom at the time and still are uh it was towards the end then that you started going to these same meetups where you would meet people in in the tech space and with the similar interest i guess and and one of those in particular tended or ended up being pretty useful for you
1: yeah it was in my third year actually um and i was starting to think about what the hell was i going to do after college um i've been doing some freelance web design work um and i knew you know, to get in some of front of the, some of the interesting companies, I might have to just get out there, find some meetups, get to know some people who are actually in the industry. Um, so a good friend of mine messaged me one night and said, Kev, there's an event on called Pub Standards in Dublin. Come along. There's, there's meant to be about eight people at it um, who are pretty uh, keyed in to what's going on in the tech scene. Could be interesting. So said that, Grant hopped on the 46A into, uh, into town and uh, went to the event and... Yeah, it was, it was literally my first event. I was sitting there drinking a pint. Um, I get introduced to a guy called Owen. Um, Owen sits down and tells me he's like, "Yeah, we, oh, you're you you do programming in, in Ruby on Rails." And I was like, "Yep, I've done all done all that." He's like, "Great, you should work for us. We've got some interesting projects. Uh, I'll set up a meeting with our chief technology officer, um, and you'll meet him next week." Um, and now at the time I was like, "Great, bit a bit of web development work." Um, now to, to jump ahead a bit, this is now Owen McCabe, who is the CEO of a billion-dollar company called Intercom. Yeah, Ireland's probably um, the most successful tech. Store. Yeah. And it was a yeah, it was a very interesting experience. So I, I ended up working with them kind of freelance while I was still in college. Um, they were four guys, the four founders who who are the still the four co-founders of Intercom, Um, ran a consultancy or kind of a, a yeah, bespoke kind of design dev shop called uh contrast and there they you know did about 80 90 percent of their time was doing client work to you know cover the bills make the money and then the rest of the time was spent on trying out business ideas and and trying to build products and see if they got any traction and if not scrap it and move on to the next right that's very interesting so you were part of that crew trying these different things and right okay yeah from from the outside i mean you know i was i was this kind of well, I hadn't even graduated at that point, but it was certainly exciting to kind of sit from the sidelines and, and, and be involved with it a small bit. Um, and then funnily enough, you know, Intracom was one of the ideas that, that came along. Um, so I ended up working on the Intracom product during that MVP stage, that minimum viable product phase where they were just trying to, again, test it out and see if anyone was actually interested in it. Um, that's pretty cool, but then they, uh, it turns out
0: the consultant business, as they leaned more into Intercom, which was uh, throwing a dart at the wall, they stopped doing uh, client work, stopped kind of focusing on cash generation and couldn't pay you, and then you needed the money, and off you went. That
1: Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was basically it. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I, I just finished college, and I was like, great, I have uh, I still need to pay rent in Dublin now. Yeah, I'd yeah. come from Tipperary, and I was uh, uh, definitely in the space where I needed to make some money, so um, we kind of... Hearted ways and said, um, Right, you guys go off and, and try this idea, and I'm gonna uh, join another company. Well,
0: say, save a V, like <laughs> <laughs> everyone has their own journey. It seems like you made, like, someone listening to that story might be like, God, he made a daft decision. But in tech, uh, one in probably 10,000 projects will actually end up being cash generative or do well over the long term, over like five to 10 years let alone become an intercom and so the odds were really in the favor of this not being the success that we now know it to be it's always easy to say oh you picked that one badly but you literally have no idea at the time and you have your own needs at the time
1: that need to be met exactly you know hindsight is a is a great thing exactly i did what was most important for me at the time which was i needed to make some money i wasn't ready to jump into any kind of startup and it wasn't even at that stage where they were you know offering me a position or anything but um i think you know, it obviously went in a, in a really interesting direction after yeah. that once they went off to raise some money.
0: And then you went on, did you go straight into being a sales engineer there?
1: Um, No, so I, I, I after that, so I was working with them as a developer. Um, I then joined a company called Engineard for a short time, um, where I kind of got into sales engineering um and was, was doing very technical roles as well.
0: Just to fill people in, sales engineering is where... You have a salespeople show up, or salesperson show up like me, I'm the salesperson, and I'm good at telling the story about what the product does and finding out how it impacts the business. What I'm not good then is knowing about all the little nitty-gritty technicalities about how the product works. So they send a sales engineer to the meeting with me to answer all those hard questions. So they'll focus on the tech while I focus on the business, and together the skill sets match to hopefully win the business. So that's what Kev was doing. He had both the personality to be customer facing and the technical understanding to answer the hard questions. So sorry, go on, just to fill people in there.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good, it's, it's a really, it's actually like, it's not a career path people think about. Not um, at all, but it's great. I think a lot of people I talked to today who are quite technical, but yet don't want to sit at a computer programming all day. Like mm. I loved writing code, but I equally liked being in the meetings, talking to customers and hearing what, what their problems were. So um, for me, it was, was quite an interesting mix. Um, but yeah, so then uh, you know after that I was I, I got an opportunity to join their, um, software engineering team, uh, which I thought was my career path. Like you know, software engineers probably yeah. what I've been dreaming about since I was fourteen, and I was like, this is, this is where I should go. But at the same time, our senior vice president of sales came over from America to help us build out Europe, um, and she said, Kevin, why don't you join me as a you know as a sales engineer and and. You know start working under my team um and come really into the the sales side of the, the the company um and i think that was that was probably the first moment where i said i'm going against my gut instinct here of of wanting to be a software engineer because i know this sales knowledge will be valuable to me because i want to start a business someday okay i didn't know how soon but i knew i knew this was going to be the the, the growth mindset really that was going to forced me out of my comfort zone into something something new nice okay so how long did you stick at that for before that it became too strong <laughs> um i i did it for about two years um learned a ton there you know traveled around europe met a lot of customers um ended up joining a company called new relic after that yeah a great company um, doing really well and that was that was really exciting i mean i was hired as part of the first team that was built out in in dublin Um, we were six people at the time i think they're like 250 they're 300 in our people building. yeah they're yeah. huge uh, massive company now and i think that was that was cool again to kind of be like right we're, we're opening the office there that in itself was a very short-lived uh, dream um because after five months i said i have to quit this i've got a business idea that's burning in the back of my mind and i need to either do it uh, or shelve it for good so
0: pause here you're 25 you're 25 you're making good money you've got this solid career path in a great company new relic but this itch is just so intense you need to scratch it
1: i like everyone literally thought it was stupid yeah. like i mean yeah i was like i was 24 at the time uh, i was earning close to probably 100,000 uh, you know i was in a company that was clearly growing places yeah. like about to go public like you know everything it ticked all the boxes anyone thinking about their career would would want um but i was like surely I can go find this again in the future but right now, this thing I need to I just need to try it if I don't do it, I'll probably always wonder what happened if I didn't didn't try it.
0: That's something I relate to a lot because I've had the exact same thing where you look like you're ticking all the boxes but there is this deep itch and I'm huge on advising people to scratch those itches and uh, the new relics, for me it was Google the new relics and the Googles of the world are a great path when you get into them but there is no such thing as the path. Everyone has their own. And if an itch takes you off the path, as in the new Alex or the Googles, you need to follow it, because that's gone to your unique path, and that's what will end up making you most fulfilled. Whether or not it makes you the richest, it might, it might not, but it will make you the happiest, the most fulfilled with your life choices and and direction. And so pausing there, I would strongly encourage people to follow what Kev did here, and basically follow your gut and your your instinct. So you left New Relic and went off and started your first business.
1: Yeah, I mean I I, <laughs> I remember the day just like sitting in the meeting room, like literally shaking, having listening to the Skype dial tone, waiting for my manager in San Francisco to answer the phone. And I think like the the first second he knew why I was calling. Um, but I think everyone there was really supportive of my decision. Like they were sad to see me go, but they were. Still been like you know you do what you got to do yeah um yeah and then I I just I jumped into it I was like <clears throat> you know not, well, hindsight is probably something we'll speak a bit more about but um I just jumped into it and said right we need to get some money together um uh, I found a, a co-founder who was going to help me kind of get it off the ground how did you find him um we had been working together um through some freelance work okay because that's the i found that the hard part finding a good co-founder's hard. yeah uh you know again hindsight that co-founder left <clears throat> quite soon after um because he had a family and his, his personal circumstances were very different to mine where yeah. i had myself to worry about um so yeah i just i just kind of went head first um uh got together fifty thousand euros i raised from friends and family friends family and fools friends yeah, yeah. I and mean, yeah um got that together you know i remember getting on a plane to, to germany to visit some family i had there and uh, doing a little a little investment trip where i was pitching them in german right as well to try and uh win win them over to to back me and they they did um i think that was the moment it really felt you know this i'm going to do it you know I've, I've got some money i've got some time um
0: is that really heavy when you take on funding from individuals i mean in our job now, we play around with kind of company money all day and dealing in businesses and that sort of stuff, and you take it very seriously. But they're big in in uh, institutions. When you're dealing with an individual and their hard-earned money, uh, fifty thousand is a lot of money. Did you take that weight on? Do you feel it a lot?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's massive. I think at the start, <clears throat> at the start I probably didn't because I had this feeling in the back of my mind like there's no way this can't go right you know right, I, I, okay. I had this 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 pure blind ambition that was driving me that this was going to work no matter what which you know i had to because i, I convinced of myself of this and yeah. i had to convince others of it as well um but i think as as time goes on you know you're the 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 challenge or the difficult thing is you know family and stuff they're, they're putting in that money because they believe in you they want to support you and even if it doesn't me- make financial sense for them like they're not an angel investor who's diversifying and yeah. investing in 10 different things. You might be the only person they're investing in. And that's what what kind of makes it hard. Yeah, um, okay. So the, the pressure's there. I mean, you're, you're thinking of the clock ticking when you count the number of months uh, of money you've kind of left in the bank and what you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, what happens? You go around, you raise the money, you get 50 grand. You're absolutely delighted when you raise your 50. And you probably uh, think, you, okay, you got the business model. You're going to do shake which is uh, graduate recruitment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, was, I was obsessed with this idea almost since I had been in college, um, where I saw that it was really difficult for students to go out and find these other companies. Um, so the, the idea was that if we had a marketplace where students could be matched directly with com- companies, um, then it would be uh, much easier for them to find the right jobs and opportunities that actually match them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that was that was kind of the idea behind it. Um, really t- easy to use website for for students to kind of find those opportunities. So off I went. Um, we started building the product. Um, I think the first mistake we made was like building it. We spent way too long trying to build the first version. And did you try? Did you do that old thing? Like it's it's a
0: common thing in technology, where people try to build their dream product and the perfect product that's going to tick all the boxes and. Uh, Again, you're so excited. You've raised your family's money. You've got them excited. This thing's going to be amazing, and the hard thing is to build an MVP, a minimal uh, minimum viable product, the bare bones of what will work for people. And it's ugly. And it's not sexy. And
1: it's not the dream that you had. That's what you had to go through. That was it. I mean, I I don't think I really knew what an MVP was or what what it meant for us. Like I I don't think we really outlined what we were trying to test, what the experiment was. Um. So. You know, we, we just kind of went at it and we were trying to build this perfect product.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, everyone seems to go with that. So I guess from a planning perspective for people out there thinking about doing it, what you want to do maybe is plan an MVP. This is what the bare bones of what people might value uh, would be and aim for that first. Because everyone you show up to, every prospective customer you show up to and say, this is our great little product. They're going to say, you need to change XYZ and add ABC, etc. And so... Every, all your customers are going to edit it for you, so you might you might as well not build the whole thing through and wait to
1: account for those edits in in the final build. And and these are things like you can do while you're in your job. You know, I I could have taken this a few steps further before I made the leap. Um, like you know this yourself, you go out and try out ideas and you, you talk to people. Like you know, we we have our jobs now and we. We use our time wisely during lunch hours or calls we do in the evenings to, to validate ideas and, mm. and get that early feedback. And that uh, was a big lesson for me. You know, I, I, I made the leap before um, I did any of that. But, you know, we, we, we powered through. We, yeah. we we eventually got the product to market. We got our first um, users. Where did you base? You based in Dublin? We were based in Dublin. Okay, right. Um, I think it was the Digital Depot we ended up getting some space in right okay so you're based
0: in dublin you start you get your first user probably students in different colleges and that sort of thing um and then you go around trying to find companies to put the jobs up on and you, it's essentially a market base, two-sided marketplace which becomes really hard to really Built. difficult yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it's like the hardest thing you could possibly do I think like looking back like any investor would tell you like a marketplace is probably one of the most difficult businesses you can try and start and it's the last
0: thing um, that they want to invest in because there's so much risk and advertising involved in it and that sort of thing
1: yeah uh, and I guess that's but, You know, a bit of naivety behind me at the time didn't really view it as a, this two-sided marketplace like I didn't look at that as a, the unit economics behind how a marketplace works <clears throat> I just had this grand idea of bringing bringing these people together
0: yeah fair enough so when you do that you you and your co-founder are there and you've you've kind of validated the idea Then with a couple of students and looking around companies and that sort of thing you as you say you're burning through your cash all of a sudden you need you realize that you need more cash at what point then do you make a decision to say okay i need to go off and uh, it was i think it was over to san francisco you went and was like okay time for the big leagues like let's get money into this thing
1: yeah (laughs) i think it was a really uh, interesting point of the journey because we'd we'd kind of gotten the products to market much later than we expected we'd we'd gone through uh got a bit of the cash in that first year kind of paying myself we brought a developer in to kind of help us as well you pay yourself the bare minimum right it's yeah i think bare minimum like i think there's a the the bare minimum you need to survive yeah you know like to, to cover whatever bit of rent you have uh pay your food but like
0: yeah cover cheaper
1: and live yeah. on tuna basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ram, ramen noodle profit profitable as they so say. important
0: lesson young people who are going to start a business and be the boss and be a killer and all that sort of stuff that is not the case for the first many many years of it where you it is tuna living
1: until uh you've got a big customer base and making profit which is tough to do yeah you definitely don't want to be doing it to uh for the glamour aspect of it of thinking i'm a manager i'm the ceo of a company um walking around with your shirt and tie on and uh, drinking your flat whites Uh, (laughs) (laughs) like you have to be ready to spend the most part of your life in those years working trying to get the thing off the ground learning like i think there's so many sacrifices you make like Mm. personal professional everything
0: what are those sacrifices like actually because people again people hear about the glamour but not the real uh, so, the money is the obvious one. You went from 100 grand a year roughly to down to two now money, which is like whatever, 20, 25 grand a year. So, well, and the big thing is like, and, and I was warned about this, all the, one of the hard parts is you're there doing it yourself and you're doing a 25 grand a year, you don't feel like you're making any progress, etc. And your friends around you are getting promoted and they're buying new cars and they're going on holidays and they're living in great apartments and all this sort of stuff. Like, it's hard to be around when you feel like you're not making any progress yourself.
1: Yeah, at the start it was still manageable because I think I had my energy. I was ambitious. Um, I was still meeting up with friends. As it progressed, like I think we hit that point where it was like we need we need to raise more money. Um, we were running out of cash. We think we had a few weeks' of money left in the bank. Um, and I, I met a, a an old manager of mine from New Relic at the time for lunch, and she said, um, "Kevin, you just need to get on a flight to San Francisco." um because that's what i've been planning i was like right i need to get out there and try and um raise money in san francisco i'm going to do it so i went back to the office booked my flights um and a week later i was landed in san francisco
0: crazy no um, girlfriend or anything uh tying you to ireland nothing right interesting so you you go over there you have probably have to find like whatever a hostel or something to stay in for a couple of weeks it,
1: it was it was it was a really funny uh, situation because i'd met a good friend of mine who left dublin and moved to san francisco a year before and he said kevin like i'm i'm living in this house uh in the mission um the the guy i'm living with owns the house he works at facebook you know you can come stay with us for a week uh so i went and stayed for a week a week turned into three weeks one those. yeah (laughs) unfortunately one of those um so i stayed for those three weeks wasn't successful because uh investors there have this aversion to uh what they call tourists uh tourist entrepreneurs which is uh like you know these european um founders who fly in for a week think they're going to raise half a million and then go home yeah um they are adverse to that like they they hate it so i you know i spent those first three weeks there went home came back again and spent three months there right okay um, and in those three months I basically had to build up the trust of um, other founders I was meeting um, and using those people to get introductions to others and you know one introduction led to the next um, led to them seeing I was serious about being there with, and actually...
0: with individuals or with venture capitalists
1: individuals so okay. I at this stage I was like just trying to raise uh, an angel the of money. okay so yeah, this whole this whole tough process started. You know, I think one of our investors out in Stanford University. Uh, I met him. I think like six times over the course of five months before he put that first money in. Right. Um, and it was this grueling process where I ended up again, that house I stayed in for three weeks turned into a much longer time. Right. Um, I offered to cook for the guys, uh, and in, in, in payment of rent, cause nice. I had no money. Kev's an incredible cook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right. So, you know, it was, it was one side talent I was able to use to kind of at least, yeah yeah um, stay there. So that was, that was a great support. Like I couldn't, could never have done that. Like San yeah. Francisco is insanely expensive, mm. um, to stay there for that long. Um, and, and you know, this, this, Process ran to like I think September of that year. Like it was January I'd flown over, so like almost six months later, I'd managed to raise two hundred and fifty thousand dollars off individuals. Um, off individuals. Like fifty each um, or whatever. Some put in ten, some put in twenty five. Amazing. Um, you know fifty. Um, but it took so long to get there.
0: People, so uh, you hear about companies raising, 20 million 50 million half a billion, a billion, whatever. It's always the first 100 or 200, 250 that is way harder to claw than any of those 50 million. Usually if someone raises 50 million, it probably took them a couple of weeks because there was a queue of investors looking to get in. Whereas when you're on the outside in the cold trying to get in for your
1: angel or series A round, yeah. you're clawing that money off people. Because it's a hard sell. I mean, you, you don't have the numbers behind it. You can't tell. You don't have a story yet of, you know, we're growing 50% month to yeah. month with x that uh, 100 customers and whatever you like you're still very much in that experimental phase mm. of trying to get investors who will believe in you first and foremost and believe in your vision because you know your product is probably shite at this stage yeah. like you know it's it's probably not proving much like you don't have 10k customer case studies yet like yeah. you're, you're still very early on so that was <clears throat> that was i think the challenge in, in me trying to build that trust build that relationship where all these individuals invested in me and my vision sure um. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. So you you did you stay there when you got the cash or did you come home? Um. So I stay there. So part of the part of the conditions almost of the money I raised was that uh, I had to um incorporate a company in the U.S. Sorry, conditions. What did I like?
0: If you fail, do you owe them the money back? Do you, is it the money yours and it's their risk? What does that look like?
1: Um. It's it's done in a in a way that the risk is entirely on the investor. Okay. So they you know there's there's nothing. Um. They don't it's not considered debt for the company. It's, it's considered, you know, it's, it's an investment on their part. It's a bet. It's a bet. Yeah. And, and everyone knows that the chances of them losing the money is very high. Yeah. Um, incredibly high, in fact. Um. Probably so like 90 odd percent. Probably. Yeah. 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 A huge, huge number. So yeah. So the, I mean, there's, there was no risk in that sense. Um, I think the, the challenge was I had to set up a U.S. company to take the money in there because U.S. investors were a little hesitant towards Irish companies. Um, because they just weren't familiar with the laws, the structures, right. and and this is where things started to go a bit downhill for me because doing doing that meant I introduced a ton of new complexity into for myself to try and run this company. I now had two entities, I had two accountants, I had two sets of lawyers, yeah, and I was this. We were this tiny little startup, you know, we were this three-person team trying to get our first MVP out to the market and mm. and prove something, and now we had this infrastructure in place with uh, as if we were this international company way way ahead of time and the what ended up happening was i stretched myself way too thin Uh, we didn't have the time we didn't have the resources to to do it and instead of being able to focus on sales or focus on one aspect of the business i was scrambling around trying to run all this and burning myself into the ground
0: yeah okay there's a good saying about that was it make sure the thing you're doing is the thing and stays the thing or something like that like <laughs> yeah. if you're running a, if you're trying to build a grad recruitment business selling to companies and marketing to students and you're spending all your time on lawyers accountants and admin that's not the thing the thing is either marketing or sales
1: and make sure your product and make sure you're doing that yeah none none of the things i was most spending most of my time on were actually contributing to the business yeah that's um, crazy but it, it goes to show you know it, it can be such a drain trying to trying to do this and i think that's it also speaks for why startups are more likely to succeed if you have a team a strong team behind it yeah right um and at that stage i was mostly a one-man show so yeah interesting um i didn't have someone to kind of say right you look after the the company setup i'm going to spend eight hours today calling customers yeah
0: so what happened then you're working through all this sort of stuff you're in sanfair you've 250 which is a big win did you ever get the product out the door
1: we got the product out the door we 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 had a couple of launches we did like a little soft launch uh test launch and then we launched it properly um you know in in the end we were we end up trialing it with customers like twilio um in, in dublin and we were trying to approach companies in in san francisco we we're building out this ambassador program um you know i we were going out visiting um ucla uh like an insanely big university yeah. when, you, when you compare it to irish colleges universities um really trying our hardest to to get it off the ground um and you know we we, we got the product out there we had some paying customers we had said we i can't remember several thousand four or five thousand students signed up at that point right um That's a lot of students and we hadn't really figured out a, a much of a marketing strategy yet either right um so a lot of it came through where the mouth but it wasn't enough like you know we, we were seeing signs of interest and in adoption but it wasn't enough for me to go, right, I'm ready to go out and raise a million now because I have, I've proven that we've, yeah uh, you know, done enough in this in this space of time. And at that stage, you know, I was flying back and over from San Francisco. I got rid of my apartment in Dublin. I sold my car. Um, I put all my savings into the business. Um, <clears throat> I was effectively living out of a suitcase for the best part of a year. And going back to, like, the, 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 the sacrifices, you know, I was... Uh, I wasn't seeing my friends back home anymore. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was barely getting to talk to my family. I was, uh, I was burnt out. I was getting depressed. I was, you know, yeah, the mental a, state, a mental state. Good. um, so it was really starting to take its, its toll on me. Um, I think that was around the time when I just said, you know what, I think it's time to call it a day. I had investors actually put more money on the table and say, keep going, we'll keep going. And I said, I'm sorry, but I think this is a bad investment for you. If you put more money in, um, I think we, we need far more money than that for this to succeed at this stage. So <clears throat> I made the decision to shut the business down. Crazy.
0: Was there a story about a flight over to America or from America or something like that where you kind of got pretty worried about the whole thing? It was the last flight back. Um, so after you told the lads no more money?
1: So I just about kind of said it to some of the investors in San Francisco and i got i got back on a flight from san francisco to dublin with the intention of coming back a week later the funny thing is i still have shoes and shirts and an ipad right. in this house i lived in that's funny uh, and in 2 weeks time i'm actually flying to san oh, francisco yeah. for the first time in 5 years since since wow. i since that last Ooh, flight okay. back um but yeah that that flight back that wasn't planned to be the last flight back but it became the last flight back um like i remember having a panic attack on the flight back because i was it kind of hit me for the first time. I was like, I'm flying home to, to let three people go to tell my investors, this is shutting down to tell my family I've lost their money to, uh, this whole life and image of, I built up for myself was, was, was dissipate. Like it was, it was going to be gone. Um, and it, it just hit me in that one go on the flight. Uh, and that was terrifying. Like, Mm -hmm. I just remember just shaking on the flight. Um, and, uh, yeah, got back to Dublin. Like broke down to tears at the baggage uh, claim. Um, and I was like, God, what next? Um, people need to
0: listen to that. People need to hear that the whole entrepreneur thing is not the dream at all. It's fucking hard. Like it's hard in a lot of different ways. Like it, it pulls someone apart, and it pulls nine out of ten people apart. And on, people only ever read about the one, uh, the one that succeeds. It's it's a crazy thing.
1: Yeah, and I think like the the funny thing was like I I got home I got rid of you know I think I was living in a short term apartment I I moved back home and with family for a while, and I was I was sitting at home and I was trying to like acclimatize myself back to a normal life again I was like right you know get out for a run, go meet up with friends eat healthy again and 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 get get the life back but I was like, all I'm reading in Ireland is about all these successes like yeah. everyone's afraid to talk about what really happens. So I sat there and I opened up Medium dot com and and decided to write a blog post about it.
0: I read this blog post. Yeah, yeah. you were really honest about uh, basically failing in a startup.
1: Yeah, and 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 it was you know I remember I remember hitting click and thinking, you know I've lost everything now already. I'm no longer the CEO of, CEO of anything. I've no job. I've lost all my money. I've kind of <laughs> what's the worst that can happen now? So I just I published it and I was like really honest. I said, look, we we knew. Feck all about marketing. We we didn't raise enough. Um we took too long to raise when we did. Uh, all the various other mistakes we made. And I kind of I remember just closed my laptop and I went out for a run and I came back and I think within about twenty four hours about like fifteen people had offered me a job. Like Crazy. messages came in, like a few journalists reached out, um, you know, I got I got so much positive support and feedback calls and everything from people being like fair folks you know delighted you, you you were so honest about it um
0: so to hear what happened next with kev guys tune in again next week and we'll hear about the second half of the story when it when things started to look up